Hi, everyone. It's me again, Laszlo Montgomery, bringing you another episode in our overview of the history of tea, the topic from which we derive this catchy podcast title. Welcome back, all you stalwarts who have stuck with this since the trailer. I hope over the past 18 episodes, you found something worthwhile in this humble effort to introduce the history of tea, with the disclaimer, of course, that this is the Chinese version Tea history and stories of tea culture are present in all countries where tea is drunk. Sorry, I couldn't get to any of them. Not yet, anyway. I'll try and tie up some loose ends, and if I should come across any orphans of information that I neglected to put in previous episodes, we'll place them here or in the next episode. I thought perhaps a good way to break this all down would be to travel from province to province in China and take a look at some of their more famous teas that you're apt to find in your typical tea shop or online store. The most famous teas are, more often than not, former tribute teas from the Qing dynasty. The ability to get your hands on tea and to enjoy it sure has come a long way since the treacherous times of the Tea Horse Road and the days of the China Clippers of the 1850s and 60s. People had to go to a lot of trouble to get this stuff from China to their teapot. In our time, we go online and in five minutes place an order for any number of magnificent artisanal teas from reputable online firms from all over the world and have them delivered right to your door. Think of that as you peruse some of these websites. Man, we got it easy in our time. And like I said last time, there's an endless quantity of videos online to show you how to do it upright once that hermetically sealed bag of tea shows up at your door. Let's talk a little about green tea first. That's where most of the action is in the China market. Western markets in India and in other places, they may love their black teas. But in China, about 70% of all the tea produced is green. Zhejiang, Jiangxi, and Anhui are the three provinces most renowned for their green tea. You'll notice when you line up a couple dozen or so different green teas from all over China, you'll see they all look different from each other. Different size, color, shape, leaf length. Some are just buds, some a bud and a leaf, or a bud and two leaves, or leaves without buds. Some are twisted, some are straight, flat, some are curved and crescent shapes. Over time, The more you study tea, the more you'll notice famous teas always have something about them that makes the leaves instantly identifiable. One thing that's confusing about these top drawer teas is that, even within a single kind of tea, there are multiple grades. Remember how I explained in the tribute tea system that ran from Tang to Qing? The most prized of all teas were those picked before the Qingming Festival, before the rains of early April. You can buy this primo-grade tea as well whenever it hits the market in April, May, or June. If you're shopping online for, say, a Longjing tea, you'll see the number of choices are staggering. Even within the confines of one single online tea seller, you might have half a dozen choices of Longjing available. You'll see so many choices with a considerable difference in pricing. Is it pay more, get more? Well, the Chinese, from time immemorial, always knew about these first flushes, picked before the spring rains, that yielded the best teas. The Europeans soon learned as well. 
Remember the great 19th century tea clipper races that happened? These vessels would race from Fuzhou to England as soon as the first teas were loaded on board and off they'd go. If you were the first to slide into that parking space at the port, your firm could fetch a gorgeous premium for every ounce of tea in your cargo hold. Today, too, everyone who knows tea knows this grade of tea is something special. There are other grades besides this first flush, so ordering artisanal whole-leaf tea online is a very three-dimensional task. The best thing to do is stick with the most reputable online tea shops until you're ready to wander off and try out other places. Like with pearls, jade, and silk, it's easy to get ripped off when buying premium-grade teas. The tea forums and blogs are most informative, and the pointers that they offer where to get the good stuff. I subscribe to the tea subreddit and find that quite useful. Those redditors are some of my top tea masters. Back to green tea. Longjing tea, I'll go out on a limb and say, it's perhaps the most famous green tea in China. Dragon Well Tea, it's called. It comes from a place called Longjing Village, not too far from West Lake and beautiful Hangzhou. I've been to Longjing Village, bought some souvenir tea and everything. There are about five districts in the area that produce authentic Longjing tea. What's so great about this tea? Well, these lucky tea farmers of Longjing back in the 18th century had gained sufficient repute in the region to the extent that one day they were visited by no less a personage than the Qianlong Emperor himself. And that great tea-drinking emperor, grandson of another great tea-drinking emperor, himself planted 18 tea bushes there in Longjing, and later even picked some of the tea himself. So that's a heck of a story to have associated with your town. If an emperor, so masterful in tea, proclaimed your product superior and wrote a poem about how good it was to boot... Your share price skyrocketed. Fame and fortune was guaranteed. I mean, come on, the Qianlong Emperor? Chinese history? He's pretty big. About those 18 trees, there's another story. This one, I don't know, but I'll tell it anyway. If you recall from your Qing Dynasty history, I mentioned how the Qianlong Emperor was extremely devoted to his mother. It was when he was down in Hangzhou visiting Longjing Village and picking tea that he learned that his mother was ailing back in the palace. So he cut short the tour, and he hurried back north to be with her. And in the excitement of the moment, the emperor carelessly had stashed some Longjing tea leaves inside his royal sleeve. And when he got back to the palace, well, you know what happened next. He discovered them, prepared the tea leaves for his sick mother, and you guessed it. She made the comeback of the century and was on her feet in no time. And so... To honor this tea and those who grew it, he ordered those 18 tea trees to be planted at Longjing Village in a particular spot by Hugong Temple, and he stipulated that these trees should henceforth supply the palace with Longjing Dragonwell tea. Today, if you want to buy any of this tea off those 18 trees, it'll run you about 25 grand U.S. for a quarter ounce or 100 grams if they even allow it anymore. Probably not. The telltale sign or calling card of Longjing tea is its distinct shape. The leaves are beautiful, especially when you get a nice, classic 
full bud set. They're pressed flat, as if between the pages of a book. And when you infuse the tea, you're really going to want to have a clear glass tea service because the Dragonwell tea leaves open up real nicely and are comforting and pleasurable to groove on when you're enjoying your longing moment. The legend goes the leaves are all flat because on the ride back to Beijing, the Qianlong Emperor had inadvertently pressed the leaves he had stashed in his sleeves for most of the ride back, so they ended up in that condition. Hey, who knows? You have to be a little vigilant when you brew Longjing tea. My suggestion, if you want the perfect cuppa, is to go watch a video on YouTube or Yoku, and there are scores to choose from showing the best way to make Longjing tea. By all means, you don't want to scald these tea leaves. Green teas do not require fully boiled hot water. Longjing tea, like any of the greats, is really something else when brewed at optimum conditions. One more thing, because of its popularity and all the legends and stories associated with it, Longjing is often imitated, and faux Longjing is readily available in the market. It looks like Longjing, but it isn't. And most people, like me, don't know any better just by looking. Fo Longjing can be had in Yunnan, Guizhou, and a lot of it comes from Sichuan. Also, Guangdong grows this too. It's just processed like Longjing and sold with a Longjing label. As I said, most of the unsuspecting won't know any difference. Another thing I heard when I was in Sichuan was that a lot of Sichuan tea gets shipped to Zhejiang, where it is then processed into a faux longjing. Just know that many of these top-grade famous teas in China, not just longjing, command a high market price. So naturally, you get all these Shanjai teas, these counterfeit lookalikes. You'll hear the words Mao Jian and Mao Feng a lot when searching through many online stores and through tea guides. A lot of the teas out there are something or other Mao Jian or Mao Feng, and these terms refer to any tea that consists of a bud and a single leaf only. In the case of Mao Jian, Jian means the tip, the tip of the tea leaf, the youngest part. And Mao Feng means the bud plus the two top leaves. And for each individual kind of tea, the buds, the leaves, should all pretty much look the same and be uniform in their appearance. And as I just mentioned, if it's a Mao Jian tea, there's only one leaf and one bud. Let's look at gunpowder tea next, also from Zhejiang province, another green tea that is somewhat well-known in the Western world because of its catchy name. It's processed in such a way that the leaves are rolled into these little balls or pellets, hence the name. For this reason, the Chinese call this tea and other ball or pellet-shaped teas zhu cha. Zhu means pearl. Because it's rolled by hand, the leaves have to be a little bigger than what you might pick in the spring. The leaves picked in the summer and autumn being larger in size work best for this kind of tea. Nowadays, only the highest-end gunpowder teas are rolled by hand. There are machines that can mimic this hand process pretty well, and this is how most commodity gunpowder tea is made. The smaller the pellet, the higher the grade. 
The smaller the pellet, the harder it was to roll it, too. The smallest size pellets of gunpowder tea are known as imperial pinhead gunpowder tea. You'll see this in a lot of online tea shops. There are multiple grades of this tea as well, all with quite a disparity between prices and grades. Traditionally, this tea comes from Pingshui, south of Shaoxing, as I said, in prosperous Zhejiang province, a place of so many renowned green teas. One thing famous about this gunpowder tea is that this is the base tea used for the famous and totally refreshing Moroccan mint tea. This is a nice, easy tea to start with if you're just beginning to explore green tea. And another thing, just like with Longjing Dragon Well Tea, get yourself a nice, clear glass teacup and watch those pellets unfurl as they steep away in all their glory. Gunpowder tea, like Bohe, Heisen, Congo, is another one of the great historic teas of the 19th century. For all these teas I've mentioned and will mention, again, I wanted to throw a few names at you. There are so many videos and blogs that can teach you so much. There are countless books and videos that lay it all out for you from beginning to end. How hot the water should be, how much tea to add, how long to steep, utensils, teaware, the whole ball of wax. Another famous green tea, Huangshan Maofeng. Ah, Maofeng, so we know right away, hearing those two syllables, this one has the bud and the two top leaves next to the bud. This is the classic tea bud set. The historic granite peaks of Huangshan, well, that says right away that this tea comes from Anhui province. Like with many of China's most sacred mountains, if the climate is right for tea, tea is grown there. Of all the provinces in China, no one has more varieties of tea than Anhui. This tea, Huangshan Maofeng, or Yellow Mountain Hair Tip, is the most famous tea of Anhui province. Like with Longjing tea, there are multiple grades sold at different prices and copious amounts of counterfeits. I have a longtime listener, a uh, surname Cao, who's located in Anhui province, and he's from the city of Lu'an, and he is the one who informed me of their famous Lu'an Gua Pian green tea. Lu'an Gua Pian also goes by the name melon seed tea. Gua Pian means melon seed. This is one of those teas that has a distinct look about it, and when the leaves open up, they have the Uniform appearance of melon seeds, like from a watermelon. I had some with my good friend Clement last time we did our little tea excursion at some cha chong in Shanghai, a tea city. Those are retail malls populated exclusively by people in the tea business. Leaves, teaware. It's like walking around tea heaven. Now that's a great place to spend an afternoon. I don't know if I've ever run across one here in the U.S., with so many immigrants from China these past 10 years or more, the number of shops has gone from not so many to all over the place. But regardless, whether it's a tea shop and a strip mall to one of these multi-level structures, maybe two, three, four stories high, it's a great place to hang, try out different teas, and sample before you buy. And the person behind the counter making it for you, oh, they know how to brew the perfect cup. In San Francisco Chinatown, there are tea shops that offer a couple hundred kinds of teas, and you could sit there and sample some of them out. 
I spent a nice enjoyable hour at Vital Tea Leaf on Grant Street. These kinds of places are great for sampling teas. You can buy whatever you like with experts to guide you through the process. If you're shopping for loose tea, you'll find most of these shops in these various cha-chung plazas all have specialization. For example, one store will specialize in yen cha, these rock teas from northern Fujian's Wuyi Mountains. Some only deal in Pu'er. I went to a place, it was a guy from Hunan, and he mostly carried the specialty of his province, Xinyang Maoqian. This green tea is grown near the southern tip of Hunan, about a three-hour ride north of Lu'an, across the Anhui-Hunan border. I sat at this guy's shop, and he made us both a pot of Lu'an Gua Pian, and also his personal pride, Xinyang Maoqian. This Mao Jian tea tells you it's quite delicate, just one bud and one leaf. Xinyang Mao Jian also goes by the name Xinyang Fur Tip. Mao meaning hair or fur. Jian, again, means tip. If you're wondering how they grow tea all the way up there in Henan province, so was I. If you look at a map of China, Henan province is sort of north-central, far north of the Yangtze. Well, this Xinyang Maojian tea, one of the ten most famous teas in China, is also one of the most northerly spots in China where tea is grown. These climes this far north are not meant to grow tea. Xinyang is 1,500 miles north of Xishuangbanna in Yunnan, where optimal tea growing conditions are said to be. So this, among other things, is one of Xinyang Maojian tea's claims to fame. About an 8-10 to hour car ride due west of Xinyang in the farthest southeast corner of Shanxi province lies the city of Ankang, China's land of folk songs. Not a very well-known place, I know. Their history goes all the way back to the western Jin. And this place, too, so far north of the most ancient tea gardens of Shandong's time. Believe it or not, tea is also grown. In nine counties of Shanxi province, they produce tea. And the superstar of this province is their Ziyang Maojian from Ziyang County, near Ankang. The good people there who make this tea boast it is particularly high in selenium. This is something we all need in trace amounts to manufacture antioxidant compounds in our bodies to help with cellular function. Selenium, or Xi, as it's called in Mandarin, also aids our immune system. I haven't been offering you my worthless comments on how each tea tastes. I'm letting you know about the existence of these teas, their place in Chinese history, and best of all, to let you know that they are all affordable and easily obtainable from little sample sizes up to 15 grams to as much as you want or as much as what's available in the market. Another well-known Anhui green tea is called Taiping Hokui, another entry in China's top ten. This tea comes from about five hours north of Huangshan, Yellow Mountain. Each great and famous tea usually has a story associated with it. This one says that the Hokui, or Monkey King, perished at this spot near Taiping Lake in Anhui, and a farmer came upon the fallen Monkey King and buried him. Then the Monkey King's spirit, in appreciation of the farmer's kindness, 
allowed for these tea trees to spring forth from where he had been interred. And this farmer reverently harvested and processed the leaves in a special and unique way. And the acclaim for his tea reached all the way to the imperial palace in Beijing. And though this farmer never lived to see it, his tea won the grand prize at the World Expo in Panama in 1915 when they opened the canal. This is a very rural part of Anhui where Taiping Hokui tea comes from. There are only about three villages that make this stuff. Real true blue Taiping Hokui with its larger-than-average leaves is not easy to get. When it's available online, it sells out fast. This particular tea gets its appearance in the way it's specially processed. These leaves come out looking nice and flat and slightly embossed from the special leaves of paper or screens they are pressed between to air out. This is an all-hand operation. And again, keep that clear teacup handy because these long leaves, when they unfurl and stand up straight at the bottom of your cup, are really a sight to enjoy and meditate to. Vladimir Putin, it's said, is a big fan of typing Hokwe. Enough said. So as you can see, when you sort everything out like I tried to do, the pricing out in the market is all over the place. But one thing rings true. The good stuff is costly. If you're not going to go out of your way to use good water and brew it in a nice kettle and go all out, you may as well not buy the best grades. You can try any of these, and most of the online tea retailers will carry these greens. If you live near a tea shop, for sure, they'll carry these. Let's touch on white tea again. I mentioned previously about white tea and how hot the beverage market is for whites these days. As I said, Fujian province is the home of authentic white tea, as well as in parts of Yunnan. Among the most famous white teas are Fujian Silver Needle and Yunnan Silver Needle. They make it in India, Kenya now, and elsewhere. I believe I've only imbibed on the Fujian variety. I'd say the two most famous and readily available white teas are Bai Mudan, or White Peony, and Bai Hao Yinchun Silver Needle Tea. It's also marketed as White Pico Silver Needle Tea. Silver Needle Tea is considered the first white tea. It came out in the late Qing Dynasty. It's one of my favorite teas, and it has a very distinct look. It's only made from the tea buds, no leaf, just pure flavor and complexity. You'll get a nice caffeine buzz from this Silver Needle Tea. And like any bud tea, you have to pick a lot of buds to equal a kilo of tea. It's not cheap, but certainly affordable. In a quick spot check of Baihao Yinchun Silver Needle Tea on Amazon, I saw it going for about $14 an ounce. I love this tea. White Peony by Mudan is probably more widespread. Pound for pound, grade for grade, it's about half the price of Silver Needle. It contains buds and leaves and isn't as light and subtle as Silver Needle. It's harvested after the Silver Needle buds have been picked. The stuff available online in a thousand different places varies from top of the line from reputable names to low and medium grade. It's all up to you. You can have a thoroughly pleasant and enjoyable Baimutan moment with 
so-so stuff. Depends how expert or selective you are in your tastes. It was created after the fall of the Qing as an export tea. The pricing on white teas is similar to green. It's not going to break the bank. If you're drinking tea for the catechins, also called catechins, white teas, being the least processed with little or no oxidation, offers you the highest catechin antioxidant count. In general, the darker the tea, the lower the antioxidant count. One more, and I'm very attached to this one, me and my mate going back to 1980, Mr. W.W. Wong. We used to have yum cha all the time at Fukla Moon on Kimberly Road in Jim Sa Joy. I had an office right around the corner from there, in his building, in fact. He turned me on to Shomei, or Longevity Eyebrow Tea. This is another white tea that consists of older tea leaves, harvested in the summer. For all the years I drank it with W., I didn't even know this tea was classified as a white tea. I thought it was a oolong. Alas, not. It's classified as a white tea. You could also buy it in brick form, like puar. And rather than start yapping away about oolong tea, let's close down the shop for now and save that for next time. So until then, me little beauties, this is Laszlo Montgomery signing off from L.A., See if you can make it back next time for what's surely going to be another pretty exciting episode of the Tea History Podcast. 